Good morning. Well, it's a, it's, you can leave that there. That's okay. It's a joy to be with you this morning. Um, this is not an easy topic that we're going to be discussing. And the question has to be asked, why would we use a Sunday morning church service to talk about human trafficking? Like, isn't this the place where we come to learn about God and to connect with, you know, his word and worship him? And absolutely, that's true. And that is precisely why, you know, we need to talk about uh, human trafficking in a forum like this. Because we serve a God who has a very deep heart for justice, who stands with people that are oppressed, who stands with people that are vulnerable. He said that he came to set the prisoner free. He came to exchange our mourning and turn it into joy. And so that is the reason why we as the church uh, need to know about this, because we have a very unique role to play in this issue that nobody else can play like the church can play. Do you believe that? And so um, this wasn't really a personal thing for me since I came back to Canada. When I used to live in South Africa, I lived in South Africa for 13 years, and while I lived in South Africa, I was quite involved in the fight against human trafficking. And if you lived in my community, you'd understand why. We, we had a huge uh, issue with prostitution in our community. There were many brothels in my community. And so it made sense as a Christian and as a church to, to engage with the topic. I then came back to Pictou County four years ago. And um, one thing led to another, and I became the director of Pictou County Roots for Youth. I didn't really engage, I wasn't really involved in, in fighting human trafficking since I returned to Nova Scotia until one day. Um, there was a girl who, who had been coming to Ruth's house for drop-in sessions. And she'd been coming for quite a while. And uh, then after a period, we didn't see her anymore. And I said to her, you know, when I saw her again, we missed you, you know, where were you? How are you? What's new? And she proceeded to tell me that she herself had been a victim of human trafficking. A girl from New Glasgow was trafficked to the city, to Halifax. It kind of happened like this. There was a man... Um, an older man who reached out to her on Facebook. And um, they started messaging back and forth, and they messaged for many months. And he, the messages started to sort of sound like this. He would say things like, uh, you know, I think you're pretty. Uh, your family, they don't really love you like I love you. In fact, no one has ever cared for you like I care for you. And this is what he would tell her. And then he would say things like, um, you should, you know, you should eventually, he said, you should eventually come, you should come to the city and be with me because I want to take care of you. I want you to be with me. I'll keep you safe. And she, as a, as a young girl, bought into this lie, and she went to the city, to Halifax, to be with this, this man, only to find out that he'd been spinning the same story for two other girls, and he did not intend to be a boyfriend, and he, he prostituted this girl on the streets of our capital city. This girl was very fortunate in that she escaped, eventually, uh, from his clutches. She went to the police, and he was arrested and is currently awaiting trial uh, for the charge of human trafficking. But seeing that girl stand in front of me brought the issue home for me. And we realized that as Pictou County Roots for Youth, we have to do something about this. We, um, you know, maybe more so than anyone else, are on the front lines in the sense that we deal with vulnerable young people in our community every single day. And if we don't bring this message to young people, who's going to do it? And so we, uh, we had a campaign. It started last week Sunday with a church service in Westville. And between that Sunday and this Sunday, we've now spoken to close to 400 people about the message of human trafficking right here in our community. 
That includes many young people, almost 300 young people in our two, two of our local high schools, Northumberland and North Nova. We were here at Youth Group on Wednesday. On Thursday, we had a public talk. And so we've been working really hard to get this message out there. And so I just want to sort of uh, recognize that um, it, we have partnered as Pictou County Roots for Youth with the Open Door Society. They are a faith-based, a Christian organization based in Halifax. And they have a, a team of very passionate people who are intent on ending human trafficking in our province. And just to say that this presentation is disturbing. We can't get away from it. And so parents, if you feel that your, your teen or your young person, if there's any left here, if you feel that this message really isn't for them and you wouldn't like them to hear, because we're going to be real, uh, then this is your opportunity, I think, to, to make your exit. Um, so we have to talk about what is human trafficking so that we all sort of have an understanding of what it is. And the official definition of human trafficking, um, I mean, we're talking about obviously forced labor. So human trafficking and prostitution, although they're very related, they're not exactly the same thing. Because in a case of human trafficking, somebody has no choice. They're forced to do something that they have not chosen to do. Um, in Canada, certainly most uh, human trafficking takes the form of sex trafficking. And so people are used in the sex industry uh, in Canada most often. And so the official definition is the sexual exploitation of people through the use of force, deception, threats, assault, and emotional manipulation. But I like to think of it in a, slight, in a slightly easier way. And so I think of it in terms of three T's and an I. In human trafficking, there's definitely an element of being tricked. The trafficked victim does not know that they're signing up for this. In my example, this young girl thought that she was becoming a girlfriend to an older guy. She did not intentionally end up, you know, she didn't mean to end up on the streets. Um, so tricked, deception is definitely one of the elements. Trapped is the second element. So in human trafficking, a, a person's freedom is physically limited by the trafficker. They may be confined to a house or a room, often that is the case. Um, if international borders have been crossed, then the trafficker will make sure that he controls their travel documents and their passports. He'll tell them things like, if you try and leave this house, the police will find you and they will arrest you and you'll be in big trouble. And so there's definitely an element of confinement to this. Transported is something that's often a, a component of human trafficking. Traffickers do not want their victims to remain in their own community, typically, where they have supports, where people know them where there might be people who care about them. And so they will move the victim from one place to another, sometimes over international borders, yes, often interprovincially. In Nova Scotia, we also see victims being moved from rural areas such as ours, first to Halifax, and then perhaps further afield, as was the case with this young girl. And then finally, the ultimate goal of this is to use the victim, to exploit them for what they can do. Um, in these, in these uh, situations. It's not the, the woman who's making the money, it's the trafficker. The law in Canada is very interesting. The law says that a, a person who sells their body, that's not a crime. It's not a crime in Canada to be a prostitute because Canadian law now recognizes that no matter how you ended up on that street corner, you are an exploited and a vulnerable woman. And so the law is not trying to come after you. Instead, the law goes after the people who buy sex from you, and the law goes after the person that put you there. And so I think that's a, I think that's a step forward. Although the truth is, if we're honest with ourselves, that our policing has not yet quite caught up 
to what the law is and says. This law only became law in 2014. And so we're still trying to figure out how to, as a country, how to, to prosecute this. But where is it happening? Well, globally, we talk about there being somewhere between 10 and 30 million victims. Now, that's a lot of people. And that's a big discrepancy. Because the reality is we don't really have accurate statistics about this. This is a very hidden, a very underground kind of thing. Organized crime is, is definitely involved in this, and so we don't actually know how many victims there are globally. In Canada, though, we know that there are thousands of victims. Um, in Nova Scotia, we know that um, victims exist in urban centers such as Halifax and Moncton uh, in, in New Brunswick, but also in rural communities such as ours. And uh, although Halifax gets more media attention, um, you know, the issue is, is here very close to home as well. And in Canada, over 90% of trafficking cases involve domestic sex trafficking, meaning that the victim is Canadian and the place where she's being exploited is also here in Canada. So this is a, a thing that's very close to home. Well, how does it happen? And so we, we talk about these three stages of exploitation. The first is recruitment. How do these guys recruit women to do this? Once women have been recruited, the trafficker will certainly attempt to isolate them from any relationships that are important to them until the trafficker becomes the only relationship of significance in their life. And then, of course, the third stage is control and exploitation. There was a story told in the Chronicle Herald about Haley, and this story ran on March 15, uh, 2014. And uh, Haley was a, a local girl. And I'm just going to share with you a quotation um, from the Chronicle Herald, our local newspaper in this province, because it shows us how easy really it is for a young person to be trapped in this lifestyle. This is the quotation. This is from the newspaper. The boy found a way to stay in touch and invited Haley home to meet his mother. Haley, who considered him her boyfriend, said in a recent interview that the mother messaged her one day and asked if she wanted to make some money. Haley ignored her for weeks and then found herself desperate for cash last April, having run away from her most recent group home. She was nervous but let the woman set up one client for her, thinking it was an experiment, she said. Suddenly, it was happening, quote, all the time, unquote. Haley said. She, the boyfriend's mother, said, it's either you keep working or else you can get out of my house. That is what trafficking looks like in our province. There are uh, four main ways of recruiting people into human trafficking uh, and into the sex industry. The first is called the gorilla technique. And uh, if you've ever seen movies such as um, Taken, uh, this is the stuff of movies. A white van pulls up and a victim is bundled into the van, kidnapped, carried away. Um, although that may happen in Nova Scotia, it's certainly not the most common means by which women are lured into this. Um, the other three means are much more common in our context and in our province. The first is, as we just heard from that example, a trusted adult. Often the trafficker will certainly uh, take time to build a relationship with the young person. Uh, a trusted adult is somebody that should have that young person's best interest at heart, uh, but instead they have ulterior motives. Probably one of the most common methods of technique, uh, techniques in, in our province is the boyfriend technique. And that was the technique at play in the example that I gave to you, where somebody reaches out, starts a romantic relationship with this young person, um, but has definitely ulterior motives in mind. And then um, sometimes um, 
what happens is when a victim is now, you know, has been trafficked and is now uh, working in the sex industry, the trafficker will use her to reach out to her friends. And we call that the peer recruiting or peer recruitment. And so those are the main ways in which uh, women, girls and women, are lured into this. The Internet certainly plays a huge role in this. In the story that I told you, it was a social networking site, Facebook, that was used to connect the trafficker to the victim. Um, parents, computers, social media, it's a great thing. I mean, uh, many of us, I live on Facebook 24-7. You'll find me there, Stacey Jeffrey Lamini, if you want to friend me, it would be great. Um, and so just to say there's nothing wrong, inherently wrong, with social media. But parents, we have to be aware of who our kids are talking to. And we need to talk to them about being safe on social media. Um, traffickers will use it to reach out to victims. And the internet is also a place where appointments are set up, where uh, terms for sexual services are, are organized. And so we have to recognize the role of the internet in all of this. Once a woman has been recruited, she is then isolated from her friends, from her family, uh, by the trafficker. You may see a, a woman or a girl uh, becoming more withdrawn. Perhaps she used to be very bubbly and uh, fun to be around, uh, and that's no longer the case. There may be unexplained absences. Uh, she may be gone for days and then, you know, appear again. That can be a sign that something, you know, is wrong. If there's, if there's, um, a boyfriend that no one has ever seen, that, that a young person keeps talking about, and he seems to kind of only exist in this online world. Those are certainly warning signs. The trafficker will do what he can do to break down all the other significant relationships that the victim has so that he can control her. And that takes us to the last stage, which is control and exploitation. Um, organized crime is definitely a part of this. If you have an industry that makes as much money as human trafficking does, you can be sure that organized crime is there. Um, typically, though, traffickers will use emotional and physical abuse and threats um, to, to control their victims. Drugs is another way that they control their victims. They make sure that these girls get hooked on a substance so that she'll keep coming back to the trafficker who is her boyfriend, who is her pimp, who is her drug dealer. And so all of these problems are sort of like a, a web, and they just all kind of blend together. There's only four ways out of this. Um, one way, of course, uh, one way out is uh, to risk escape, as the young girl did from Neglasco. And that was a wonderful ending, and, you know, she's getting the support that she needs, and, you know, that's what we, that's what we hope for. Another way out is to be rescued. And there are some incredibly brave people right now at work in our province going into these hotel rooms, standing on the street corners, talking to women, talking to girls, and uh, letting them know that there is a way out. The third way out, of course, is the worst case scenario, and that is to be killed. And the fourth way out is to be discarded. You're simply not pulling in the money that you used to, and the trafficker tires of you. Um, who does it happen to? The average age of first recruitment in the province of Nova Scotia is 13. And I don't know about you, but that, I just find that very horrifying. Um, most victims of human trafficking in our province are between the, the ages of 12 and 18. This is a youth problem primarily, although any people of any age can be trafficked, primarily this is a youth problem. Although uh, boys and girls can be trafficked, primarily this does have a gender-based component where the vast majority of victims are girls. Um, 
guys are also vulnerable, particularly if they are members of the LGBTQ community. Um, but over 90% of uh, trafficking victims in our country are girls or women. Um, although anybody can be targeted, there are some risk factors that put people at additional risk. And I'll just highlight these. The, the, the most important one, we ask, like, what can we do? And we'll certainly get there. But the most important uh, risk factor is a girl who has very low self-esteem. You see, if, if a girl doesn't think that she's beautiful enough, if a girl doesn't feel that someone loves her, if a girl is raised to not understand that they were fearfully and wonderfully made, that they're loved by their creator, that they're loved by significant people in their lives, then she is extra vulnerable to a message from some guy who reaches out to say, well, I think you're beautiful. I think you're enough. And so the best thing we can do to insulate our girls from this is to make sure that they realize how important and how beautiful and how enough they already are. Mental, behavioral, emotional challenges, these add to an individual's risk. A history of abuse or minimal parent supervision, these are all cracks that traffickers can and will uh, exploit in order to get what they want. But there's also some systemic issues at play in our country. We've all heard about missing and murdered Aboriginal women. And so when we have systems where certain communities are extra exposed to discrimination and, um, and economic hardship, poverty and inequality, these systems make people, and particularly women, even more vulnerable to this, to this kind of thing. So how many victims are there really in Halifax? Again, we don't have accurate statistics, but uh, in the same um, Chronicle Herald article, Haley said that in nine months of being pimped out in Nova Scotia, she came across at least 100 underage girls being sold for sex. The youngest ones that she knew were around 13 years of age. And she said if her pimp ends up in prison, other pimps will remain at large in Halifax. In other words, if mine goes to jail, somebody will step in his place. Why does this happen? The reality is that it happens because there's a demand for it. And as the church, I really believe there's a lot that we can do about uh, educating men, about healing men, about introducing men to Jesus so they don't try and uh, they don't need to try and fulfill their needs in ways that hurt our women and hurt our children. It happens because there's a demand for this in our society. And it happens because this is extremely lucrative. The average girl can make her trafficker in upwards of 250,000 Canadian dollars in one year. That's just one girl. And so that's why this happens. I'm going to show you a video that is very uh, difficult to watch because Matthew Dieco is himself a human trafficker. And as we watch this video, it's so easy to think about what went wrong. What went wrong in this man's life that he's like this? What went wrong in our society that we can produce a man like this? But I would like us to look at Matthew's story with a different lens today because we are the church. And the Bible says that we are the hope of the world. And I would like us to ask ourselves, how can we as a church, how could we have gotten involved in this guy's life when he was much younger so that he didn't turn out like this? What is our role in preventing more Matthew Diecos in our world? Thank you. There's a dangerous game being played in Toronto and across the country. Romeo pimps who promise love and security, then enslave girls as young as 12. Moved up and down highways, from hotel to hotel, and motel to motel. 
Matthew Dieco has played the game and he knows it well. Charged with trafficking, kidnapping, assault, forcible confinement. He awaits trial. Sex is a part of life. I think a woman, she, if she wants to make money off it, she shouldn't have to go to jail or somebody that's helping her. It's her life. It's her body. Why should anybody be getting in trouble? Why should the Johns be getting arrested because they bought a woman? Some people don't want a relationship. They just want to get what they want and go home. No strings attached, no relation, no feelings, no fighting, no quick business deal. How do you get a girl to fall in love with you and get a girl to be willing to do this? It just happens. Like Most of these girls, like I said, they're broken. It's not hard. You just got to answer their call. You get in there. You find the crack. Like, some are drugs, some are just, they need to hear I love you. But if they just want someone to love them, this guy's not talking about loving her. Oh, I know. But that's what she believes. It's the illusion. Be there for them. Tell them what they want to hear. You tell them, well, we need to put money away. I'm going to do what I do. See, I'm putting my 50 in. You have to do your 50. So there's another way you can have sex with guys. But don't worry, I'm going to love you. You know, I'm going to go and sell drugs if that's what I'm doing on the side. Or I'm going to be making money and I'll be there to take care of you. At the end of the night, you're home with me. Every girl's had that that fantasy wedding in that house with a pink fence. We sell it to her. She'll do it. Why would she do it? Because you just sold her a dream. Some of these girls are broken. It fixes them. What fixes them? Knowing someone out there cares. The illusion of it, right? Me, I don't let that happen. Because I'm not going to say an item and say, oh, I love you. I don't. I love my money. And would you call that being a pimp? No. I don't know what you would call it. Not a pimp. A manager. There's a big part of me that wants to slap that smile off of his face. I don't want to lie to you. Um, maybe I'm not yet as holy as I ought to be. But, the, but you know, as I think about it, the truth is that Jesus cares about Matthew Dieco's victims, and Jesus also cares about Matthew Dieco. And that's hard. That's hard to reconcile. He says he, he looks for women that are broken, and he tries to sell them a dream. We as the church have a role to play in healing people from emotional trauma. We as a church have a role to play in raising boys to be men who love and follow Jesus and who are able to lay bare their whole selves before the Lord and have him come in and change their lives. Recognizing the signs, that's really important to know 
you know, what should we look out for? How would we know if someone were trafficked? It's, it's not easy to, to know for sure, but there are things that should cause us to maybe uh, ask more questions or should raise some, some red flags with us. Um, if, if a young person, a young woman or a young girl, suddenly has access to expensive clothing and fancy hairstyles, maybe gel nails, things that cost money, and they didn't have access to those things before, we should ask, you know, where is this coming from? If she's changed a lot, if she's skipping school and she didn't do that before, if there's signs of substance abuse where there wasn't before, unexplained absences. Sometimes these girls move with, with a, a carry-on bag, with a change of clothes and uh, toiletries, you know, to, to get clean. And so, you know, why? Where are they going? Why do they need this? If there's a boyfriend, as we've said, that uh, the young girl is always referring to but no one's ever seen him, that's definitely something that we should that we should look at. And so we come to the most important part, which is what in the world can we do about this? We're not experts in this field. Uh, none of us are or can claim to be. Um, you know, what can we as ordinary people do? Well, I think as the church, certainly something we can all do, no matter who we are, um, no matter what our gifting is, something we can all do is to pray. Because uh, the word says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against power and, and principalities, against spiritual darkness in high places. And we have to recognize that, that human trafficking is, is a tool of the evil one to connect with, to control um, young girls and young women and boys in our society. So let's call it what it is. It's straight up evil, and it's from the evil one. And so we battle, yes, we battle with our, with our resources and our money and our skills, but we battle with our prayer as well. And I don't want us to downplay that because it's very important and we can all do that. Um, the Open Doors Center um, exists in Halifax. That phone number that's on the screen is a number that can be phoned and texted. They provide um, <clears throat> anonymous appointments and counseling for victims of human trafficking. They connect victims with shelter so that they have someplace safe to go if they are able to escape this. And, um, and so, the Open Door Center, certainly, by supporting them, that's something that we can do in practical terms to, to, fight, uh, to fight human trafficking, even in our own community. We can uh, recognize the signs of human trafficking. We can educate others, as we're attempting to do. So now that you know a little bit about this, I hope that uh, in your conversations uh, that you'll share the information that you've learned today. It's really important that we connect with our young people that even though they're maybe not our child, they're someone else's child, but we have to find a way to make sure that we as Christians have the interface with young people to be able to speak into their lives, to be able to transfer those messages that you're, you're special and God loved you and he made you with a purpose and his, his hopes for you are, are good. He has plans for hope and a future for you. And so we need to make sure that we as a church are filling that role in the lives of our young people and eliminate the demand. Volunteering is something we can do. We at Roots for Youth have the chance to inter interact with young people who are vulnerable every single day. And uh, by volunteering with us, you can make a difference in our community. Praying for victims, we've talked about that. Becoming a financial partner as well is something some of you might like to consider. I'll just leave you with a thought from Psalms 82, uh, verse 4, which says, Rescue the poor and helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. We can do it. That's our mandate. May God bless you. Wow. So like I said, pretty 
pretty intense stuff. Um, it's shocking that, you know, age 13, like that is the age that this, this happens at. And when you work with teens or if you have kids of your own, then that is alarming to you. Um, Stacy, can you just, uh, I'm going to read, we're not going to spend a whole lot more time today, but you know, where do we go from here? We, we can't just end it there. And so I do want to share a few scriptures with you from the Bible. And then I want us to take a moment to pray when we're, when we're finishing up the service today. I want to read you a few verses from Numbers chapter 16 in the Old Testament. And we don't read from Numbers too often. There's actually from some phenomenal stories in the book of Numbers. And starting in verse 41, it says this, On the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, who are their leaders, which is not a good thing to do, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. Now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron that they turned toward the tabernacle of meeting, which is where God's presence dwelt, and suddenly the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. So Moses and Aaron, Moses said to Aaron, Take a censer and put fire in it from the altar. Put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly. And already the plague had begun among the people. So he put in the incense, so he put it in the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living. So the plague was stopped. I think we're actually called to stand in the dark places between the dead and the living. And we're called to go um, and do something about these issues that we've talked about today. Real quick, have you guys ever had someone or known someone who um, just couldn't learn from their mistakes? Like they just keep doing the same thing over and over again. Maybe it was your kid. You know, no matter how often you tell them to turn off the lights or to close the car door lightly like they just keep doing the opposite of what you've told them or maybe you yourself have you know you you recognize oh I keep doing the same things over and over again well I have someone like this in my life including myself probably in many ways but um that individual is one of my cats yep his name's Chester <laughs> and uh he like I don't know he is ordained by God I think to be an outdoor cat but Jordan insists that he be an indoor cat and every single night, he will come into the bedroom, and he will go under the bed, and he will claw at the bottom of the mattress. And we'll wake up over and over again throughout the night, and we'll kick him out, like, out of the room. We'll close the door. And then he'll, like, pick at the bottom of the door and scratch and, like, wake us up. And we're just like, oh, my gosh. And so then we'll banish him to another room, which has, like, a litter box and stuff. And we're like, you're staying in here for the night. And then even in there, sometimes he'll still cause, like, a disturbance. And with, like... Every single night, like, he will do this over and over again. Or sometimes we'll spray him with water, and he'll just do it over and over. Like, he never learns. I don't know what it is. This morning, he was wild. He was, like, jumping like a horse and galloping all around the house, like, jumping up on window ledges. And I was like, oh, my gosh, he's going to wake everybody up. Anyways, that, that would be the individual in my life right now that I'm having a really hard time dealing with because just doesn't learn. Um... And in our story here that I just read quickly, I know you didn't understand it all because I read it pretty fast, but in Numbers chapter 16, there's a group of people who just can't learn from their mistakes. And they keep complaining against their leaders, and they're complaining against God, and they're stuck in the wilderness. 
Meanwhile, they're actually stuck there because they won't stop complaining. And so they're in a bad state. Um, they're in the wilderness. They're complaining. There's one leader named Korah, and he actually rallies a whole community of people against the leaders, Moses and Aaron. And so there is just pride. There's rebellion. There's disunity in, in amongst these people. And those are things that God hates. He can't associate himself with those things. And so he actually gets so upset. If you go back a few verses, he gets so upset that he, he tries to warn them and tell them what they're doing. And Moses warns them. But they just keep messing up and keep complaining, and there's just so much disunity. And so God gets so upset and so angry that in verse 32, he actually opens up the earth, like layers of the earth open up. Just imagine this. There's like a huge just earthquake. The earth is opening up, and people and houses and animals and properties, everything gets swallowed up by the earth, and then it you know, probably closes up and that's it. It's done. And then there's silence. And you would think that people would learn from something like this. Okay, God is angry. He's not happy. We should change our ways. But in fact, they don't. They actually just do the same thing over and over again. And so the verse I read, starting in verse 41, it says, the very next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. Like, what? Like, they still have probably the sounds of people screaming, like ringing in their ears, and these, like, horrific images of this happening. And they actually come to Moses and Aaron and they say, hey, it's your fault. They actually blame them for all of this happening, as if humans, any of us could cause, you know, such a thing to happen. And so the people gather to basically kill them. I don't know if they're going to stone them or something, but the Lord appears, and Moses and Aaron go to the tabernacle, and God makes it very clear that he's done with these rebellious people. Like, he's tried to warn them so many different ways, but he's done. He tells them, get away from among the congregation that I may consume them in a moment. Understandably so. If you read throughout the Old Testament, how often they just complained and complained. No matter what God did for them, they, they just complained against him. And so it's at this point in our story that Moses and Aaron do the unthinkable. They decide that they're going to actually do something about this seemingly impossible and overwhelming situation, which is kind of what we're faced with today. They somehow muster up compassion for these people who are actually trying to kill them at this moment, and they muster up courage within themselves to do something about this, to intervene and make intercession for these people. So it says, Moses said to Aaron, take a censer and put fire in it from the altar, put incense on it, take it quickly to the congregation, make atonement for them, for wrath has gone out from the Lord, the plague has begun. And so people are literally starting to die. Some sort of disease or plague is like overtaking all of these people. But Moses and Aaron don't run from the problem. They actually run to the problem. And so we can have a presentation like this today and say, well, I don't think that affects me at all. Or maybe we can think, oh, it might affect some people, but I don't want to deal with it. And we can actually run from the problem. And God doesn't want us to do that. He actually wants us to run to the problem in some ways. I'm going to invite the band to come back up as we start to close. And we are going to, we are going to pray about these things. But just like Moses and Aaron, 
I believe that we as Christians are called to intervene. We're called to stand in the gap, like Stacy was saying. And to be honest, a lot of those people that we're going to pray for, don't, they don't really deserve us to pray for them. But that's not our job to worry about that. The Bible says to pray for your enemies. So that actually means we're called to pray for the instigators, the leaders, the traffickers who are doing this sort of thing. We're definitely called to pray for the people who are entrapped, the people who are feel like they're stuck, or the people who are vulnerable and being tricked into this sort of thing, those people who are at risk. And some of us here today, some of you, and I told the students this on Wednesday night, some of you might actually be called to physically someday go to these places and rescue people uh, from these situations or work with an organization that's doing that. Some of you might be called to do that. All of us can definitely do something. We can definitely all intervene and make intercession for this issue that's at hand. And that is with one of the main tools and weapons that God has given us, and that is prayer. In our story, Aaron quickly gets a burner and coals and incense. And you probably don't understand what all of that means because we don't do that anymore today. But incense was a symbol of intercession and prayers going up to God as a sweet fragrance. And it also represented Christ, who would one day be our mediator and ultimate intercessor. And so thankfully today we don't have to use these sort of symbols to connect with God or to make intercession or to pray. And we don't have to just hope for you know, a future mediator and savior because we actually can know him already. And hopefully, and I know many of you here do, so we can actually come to him in prayer today knowing that he will hear our prayers and that our prayers will actually make a difference. When we physically can't go to some of these places right now, or we maybe don't even know the words to say to some of these young men or women who are at risk, we know that God can do something on the inside of these people. So I'm actually going to invite you all just to stand. And we are, gonna, we are going to pray. I'm going to read you just a few verses about why we can pray. 1 John 5, 14 to 15 says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, toward God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. James 5.16 says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. I think Pastor Bruce quoted this this morning, that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person, man or woman, avails much. And as Aaron ran through that congregation and made intercession and stood in the gap, he actually put himself at risk. That took a lot of courage. It took a lot of faith. But he had compassion for these people. And his prayers availed much. The story says that the plague was stopped and he stood between the living and the dead. And so I want us to take a few moments just while the band maybe plays in the background each of us individually, you are righteous not by what you say or do. You're righteous if you believe in Jesus. You're righteous if you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. So that means that your prayers, prayers of a righteous person, avail much. So even right now in this moment, 
we can achieve a lot of things. So let's just begin to pray. And I'm going to just highlight a few different things for you to pray for. Some of them might be easier than others. First thing that I want us to just pray for right now, individually, on our own, you can talk to God yourself, is the young people who are out there, the young people who are uh, vulnerable to this kind of thing right now. Pray for discernment. Pray that they would have discernment when they're talking to people on the internet or when they meet people. Pray that they would know how valuable they are, how loved they are. So even right now, just begin to pray that. Every single one of us. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. God, we pray for our young people right now. God, we pray for even the students and the kids in this church and at the schools that are nearby. God, surround them with the right people. God, keep the wrong people from them. God, we pray that you give them discernment. God, we pray that they would know how valuable they are. Give us opportunities to speak life into them. God, to build them up, not to break them down. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. God, we pray they would know how loved they are. Let's pray for those who are currently enslaved, currently captives in the sex slave trade. God, we pray that you give them hope. God, we pray for freedom. God, we pray that you send people to rescue them. Those who are actually on the front lines, that you help them know where to go where those places are, where they're being kept. God, give them the words to say, the things to do to to get them out of this. We pray for them, God, that they would know their value, even as they're being used and abused. God, that they would know their value, that they would know that you love them, you're there for them, you haven't given up on them. God, help us to be your hands and feet. God, to go find these people. I want you to pray for something hard right now. I want you to pray for the leaders who are who are doing this, the traffickers. Pray that they would find salvation, that they would repent from this. God, that whatever's happened to them in their lives, if they've been used and abused, how would you bring healing? money or wealth is involved in this. God, it's not worth it. God, would you let them know that you love them too. God, that they are valuable, that you have a plan and a purpose for their lives. And lastly, let's just pray for our culture as a whole. This is an issue because there is a demand for it.
believe that there is power in the name of Jesus. That there's power to break every chain. That's our emotional chains. That's, you know, the, the abuse, the experiences we may have suffered in the past, the things that are still holding us as individuals. God can break that chain. For those women, for those girls who are literally being held in bondage, God can break those chains too in a literal sense. So we're going to lift our voices and we're going to proclaim it in the here and in the now. We're going to proclaim it in the heavenlies that there is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. Amen.